Please join me for a word of prayer as we remain standing. God, take uh, these moments in front of us, and would you open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. We assure us of the presence of your Spirit, our helper, in our midst and in our lives. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. Great to be with you on this uh, celebration, a celebration of the day of Pentecost, and that, of course, is our subject for this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 14. You may want to turn there in your pew Bible, or uh, if you brought your own Bible, even better. We'll be jumping a little bit uh, in the latter sections of John's gospel, because what I want to do is I want to look at this one word that Jesus ascribes to the Holy Spirit, that being, he is our helper. You find that in the passage just read, I will send you another, another helper. Now, actually, that word helper, if you were to look outside of the biblical context, just in how that word was used in the ancient Near East at this time, it was actually a legal term. So a lawyer would be called a a paraclete. That's the Greek word we have here, the paraclete. And so actually, if you go to other translations of the Bible, you'll find that this word is translated in any number of ways. He is the counselor or the advocate or uh, all these words that have a little bit of a legal ring to them. It should make us think twice the next time we tell a lawyer joke. Apparently, God thought so much of the legal profession that the third member of the Trinity has uh, that very role ascribed to him. He is your legal aid, your helper, your counselor, your advocate. And I want to look at three things that we're told, actually two things that we're told that this helper does for us, two sources of of legal aid, and then just one attribute of him that may sound a little bit um, uh, confusing. I think it'll be clear as we move on. So two things, two areas of help that our helper gives to us, and then one just truth about him. And so what what kind of help does our helper give us? Well, let's look at chapter 16, verse 8. So again, this is the same uh, passage. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and in chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says, and when he, he being, of course, the Holy Spirit, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin. So first thing the helper does is he convicts the world concerning sin. Yes, you're thinking, just what I, just the type of help that you wanted. A little bit more conviction in your life. I hope that by the time I'm done with this little discourse, you will come to a different opinion of conviction, that it's something that you and I desperately need. So what is conviction? It's simply not remorse or... Uh, to be convicted, at least in the biblical sense, is to be brought in front of the presence of God. Uh, not, not with one another, but... In front of God Almighty, who, as you, we heard in our opening colic, to you all hearts are open. To you all desires are known. From you no secrets are hid. I don't know if you uh, know the, uh, the spoof newspaper, the Babylon Bee. Very blank stares. Babylon Bee. So, again, a spoof newspaper tells this story. Local man, Buddy Hapley who has sported a tattoo reading, Only God Can Judge Me, across his bicep for the past 15 years, suddenly realized on Tuesday that God will judge him. (laughs) After glancing at the inscription on his arm, the man suddenly began staring off into nothingness as he realized that he would be accountable for every action in his life, according to sources. I always 
but he said, I always tell people that they can't judge me because only God can judge me. But I never thought of what that actually meant. I mean, the creator of the universe examining my every thought, action, motive, and attitude. Oh boy, I think I'd just rather have other people judge me. <laughs> On a little more, more serious note, Oswald Chambers, who wrote my utmost for his highest, he writes this, conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he would convict of sin. And when the Holy Spirit rouses a man's conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it is not his relationship with other men that bothers him, but his relationship with God. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That, of course, is a quote from Psalm 51. The surest sign that God is at work is when a man says that, a woman says that, and means it. Against you only have I sinned. Some years ago, on a rerun from I Love Lucy, Ricky walked into the home to see Lucy on her hands and knees. Ricky asked, Lucy, what are you doing? And Lucy responded, I'm looking for my earrings. Ricky asked, what, you, you lost your earrings in the living room? And Lucy said, no, I lost them in the bedroom, but the light is much better out here. <laughs> I think that's just hilarious. The work of the Holy Spirit is to get into those dark places. Like we'd rather look in the light with the sort of, you know, white-collar, respectable sins. Right? The Holy Spirit shines its light into those cracks and crevices that we rather not deal with. Our smallness, our envy, our, our pride, our, our meanness, all those things that we rather just kind of shut just leave in the bedroom or leave in whatever dark corner. And why? Why is it so important? Why is conviction so important? It's actually inter it's interesting that, uh, did you know the devil actually has, uh, his role is described in legal terms as well? The devil, one of the devil's roles is he is called the accuser, not the convictor, the accuser. There's a big difference. The accuser says, how could you? You'll never, you'll never be any good. You're... The accuser brings shame. Not the convictor. The convictor brings to mind sin. Why? So that we can go to the cross to approach Jesus in whom there is forgiveness of sin. The Holy Spirit is not our accuser. He is our convictor. The accusations of the devil lead us to shame. The conviction of the Holy Spirit lead us to the cross. We all need conviction to be convicted of sin. Maybe not every day, but regularly. It's a scary thing to live without conviction. Consider the example of Oscar Wilde. Born in 1854, a man with seemingly unlimited potential. To quote a contemporary, contemporary of his, he was Britain's most quotable author after Shakespeare. Yet, he ended his life penniless, 
estranged from his family. And he wrote this, I must say that I ruined myself. This pitiless indictment I bring without pity against myself. The gods gave me almost everything, he writes, but I let myself be lured into almost anything, and I grew careless with the lives of others. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character, and therefore what is done in secret chambers, one has some day to cry aloud from the rooftops. Do you see what he's saying? These small indiscretions made in the secret places went unchecked. The conviction of the Holy Spirit went unheeded, and his heart became hard, and his life was ruined. We need the conviction that comes with the Holy Spirit. We need a tender heart, not a hard heart. The gift of tears is what the Puritans would call it. If you ever cease to know the virtue of repentance, then you are in darkness. Examine yourself to see if you have forgotten how to be sorry. So that is the first and important work of the Spirit, our helper. He convicts us. Second, he is our guide. Again, John's chapter, John chapter 16 verse 13. When the Spirit of truth, another name for the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but he will, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will guide us. Again, think of the legal, the, uh, legal arena uh, that these words are drawn from. The, the, the counselor who whispers in their client's ear, say this, don't say that, do this. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Let me tentatively offer one example from uh, my own experience, a recent, that may suggest how the Holy Spirit can guide us, guide you. About a month ago, I was uh, sitting at my desk and reading. I think I was preparing for a sermon or something, and so the Bible was out in front of me, and just fleeting thought passed through my head, which was, I, I, I should be praying for my church a little bit more. And my morning was a bit flexible, so I walked across the street from the office, and I knelt right about there, and I spent about 10 to 15 minutes in prayer, praying for you, praying for our church. And uh, as I was praying, I started humming this song, which is the only reason it was noteworthy is because it's not a song I normally hum or sing. It was, a, it was a song by Michael W. Smith, Agnus Dei, Behold the Lamb. may ring a bell because that's a song that we sang last week with that huge choir that was with us from Malone University, that, that beautiful chorus that they sang. Uh, that was that song. So that was a month ago. I wrapped up my prayers, hummed, hummed this song as I walked back across the street. And then Ann Lee, our director of worship, came and sat in my office and said, David, I've got this song. You're going to hate it, but I really think we should sing it. All right, Ann, what, what, what song is that? And she said, well, it's a song by Michael W. Smith. It's called Agnus Day." I said, well, that sounds, that sounds good to me, <laughs> especially as I've been humming it for the past hour or two. So I said, yes. And I just think that's a good example 
of the type of guidance that the Holy Spirit provides. Meaning it wasn't outlandish, it wasn't glade, go and to Tibet. It was very normal guidance. Pray more. The normal stuff of the Christian life. Delivered in a normal way. I was just reading the Bible. It wasn't on some pilgrimage or anything super spiritual. It was just normal stuff of Christian life. Tim Keller claims that a revival is an intensification of the normal operations of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us of sin. He guides us. He assures us of God's grace to us through the ordinary means. What are the ordinary means? Preaching, reading the Bible, praying. This is the normal stuff of the Christian life. Being guided by the Holy Spirit can sound a little bit creepy, a little bit mystical, as if you had some little alter, you know, other person whispering in your ear. That's not it at all. It's the normal work of our helper through the normal stuff of the Christian life, usually pointing us to some normal aspect of our faith. Pray more. Read the Bible more. Say you're sorry a little bit more. Right? If the Holy Spirit's first work Conviction should inspire the attribute of tenderness in us, the gift of tears, then the Holy Spirit's second work, he is our counselor or our guide, should inspire the attribute of teachability. Teachability. The fancy Latin word is docility. Doesn't mean gullible, doesn't mean meek, it means it comes from the Latin word docere, which means a teacher. The docile person is teachable. They they open the Bible and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. They come to worship expecting to hear something for them. The docile student is eager to hear, eager to learn. Not like the mule who in the book of Proverbs we read is you have to put a bit in their mouth to yank their head one way or the other. Don't be like the mule. Be docile. Be teachable. Tender and teachable. These are the qualities that suggest that the Holy Spirit is present and active in your life. How tender are you? How tender is your conscience? How teachable are you? These are good questions for us to ponder. This third and final attribute that I want to consider from our helper is not so much something he does for us, but something that he is, and that is he is present. Back to the passage that was read, John chapter 14. We read in verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He will be with you forever. Concluding in verse 17, he will dwell with you and he will be in you. Now, noteworthy, this passage takes place immediately prior to Jesus' departure. The disciples fear being left alone. So you can imagine this is an incredible word of assurance. I'm going to send another. You won't be left alone. Last Mother's Day, Michael Gerson reflected in uh, the op-ed of the Washington Post about the passing of his mother. He wrote, It's funny what you remember from childhood. One of my first memories is slipping from my mother's hand in a grocery store, finding myself alone and terrified. Retaking her hand was my first definition of safety. 
my first definition of home. The disciples are frightened. They fear that they will be left alone, left as orphans, but they will not be. Jesus will be present to them in a new and permanent and intimate way, like that mother reaching down in that crowded grocery store to take the child's hand. So the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and assures us of God's abiding presence with you and with me intimately and permanently. I've suggested a few attributes that correspond to the work of our helper. Because he convicts, we should be tender. Because he counsels, we should be teachable, docile. And because he is present, we should be present as well. The Jesuit priest John Pierre Cassade wrote a little classic entitled Abandonment to Divine Providence, in which he writes, there's not a moment in which God does not present himself under the cover of some pain to be endured, some consolation to be enjoyed, or some duty to be performed. Here he's saying the Holy Spirit is present in each and every moment, hidden maybe, but present. As a Jesuit priest, part of his formation would have included the instruction, Age Quad August, which means do whatever it is you're doing and do nothing else. Do what it is that you're doing. Be present to the present moment because that's the only moment that God has with you. It's the you-never-know effect. You never know the impact that a passing conversation will have. You never know the impact of a casual conversation while the car is parked at a stoplight. Some casual conversation may, you just never know. And I'm sure you have your own, you just never know moments just like I do. And I promise I won't be on my technological soapbox for long but I want us to be aware of the potential for our phones to make us distracted, absent, and anything but present to the present moment. The voice of the Holy Spirit does not sound like Alexa's. Attempt at humor. <laughs> we will never hear the gentle guidance of the Holy Spirit. We will never hear the helpful conviction of our helper who always speaks in the present moment if we are never in the present moment. So be present because the Holy Spirit is present. Let me summarize. Jesus Christ sent us his Spirit, our helper. And our helper is a necessity for the normal Christian life. Our helper, the Holy Spirit, is not an optional member of the Trinity nor is the Holy Spirit equated with a fringe expression of the Christian life like emotionalism or mysticism. Our helper, the Holy Spirit, is absolutely necessary for the normal Christian life. He is intimately and permanently present to us, convicting us of sin and guiding us by his gentle voice, convicting us of sins so that we come to the cross, guiding us so that our character may be shaped into more like that of Jesus. So I conclude with a quote from the theologian Griffin Thomas who said, the great needs of the soul, conversion, communion, character, these are all made possible by the Holy Spirit and his action covers the entire life of the believer from first to last. The deepest needs of humanity can never be solved by philosophy, by scholarship, nor counseling. The supreme need today is for the personal discipleship to Jesus Christ, which is alone made available to us by the Holy Spirit. 
So this day, this Pentecost day, and every day, come Holy Spirit, our helper, to strengthen us, to guide us, to convict us of sin, and to never leave us.